Well, good morning again. It's good to see all you this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, special welcome to you. Uh, we are honored to have you with us today. Uh, I am. My name is John Stork. I am the temporary interim pastor here at Res Prez. And uh, if you and I have not yet met, I look forward to the opportunity to do so. Uh, if we can have a chance to get some coffee or maybe a meal together, that'd be great. Um, I will. Uh, let's see if we can meet after the service. Uh, we are currently in a sermon series looking at the book of Genesis, and um, we, we come to our second uh, unique passage in a row uh, in this series. Uh, last week's passage was the first passage that we had seen in Genesis where God, Yahweh, neither says nor does anything in the passage. Uh, that was not the only thing unique about the passage, but that was one of the things that was unique about the passage. This passage uh, is the first narration that we've seen in Genesis in which the main characters' names are not included. They're not given to us. Rather, humanity in general is the main character, is the main actor. And in fact, what we find is actually representative, I would make the case, of all of humanity since the time of the fall in Genesis 3. It could actually be written in a lot of ways about humanity today, about us, uh, if we just changed a few of the details. Now, before we pray, let me also uh, just say this. Uh, this passage uh, lends itself to some... Uh, weighty uh, interaction with the text, <laughs> engagement. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to ask if you will stay with me. <laughs> uh, hang in there. Uh, because I contend that the old adage is true, that the good news isn't good unless the bad news is bad. And sometimes the closer we come face to face with the honesty of the bad news the better and more refreshing the good news can actually be. That's my contention this morning. So with that in mind, will you now go to the Lord with me just one more time uh, and ask that he would be present with us? Heavenly Father, we do ask now that you would speak to us. You would be the one that would bring these words on, these, on this paper to life into our hearts and our minds, even into our lives. Holy Spirit, be present. We don't need to hear from the one speaking the mic. We need to hear from our eternal God. And so speak to us. Your servants are listening. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, um, we've come a long way since Genesis 1. Uh, the author, in fact, has come a long way. We've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> um, and in fact, we, since the flood... In a lot of ways, the narrator has sped up the narrative, the storyline. Uh, just a chapter ago, we had one family coming from the ark after the great flood, and God was renewing, restarting his plan to see his honor and glory fill the earth. And now we're hearing about people groups and clans and civilizations. And here we have in chapter 11 a human civilization that's evolving and growing. And at some point, 
the political and cooperative ties and relationships became strong enough and technology was advanced enough to support a very ambitious and extensive building project that we see here. Now, from a historical point of view, there's enough to actually recognize in this text that fits with the ancient Near Eastern world. There were these tall towers in the middle of cities. I can't, I'm not even sure. That, by the way, you did a great job on reading the text. I'm not sure this is the correct way to pronounce it, but ziggurat. Uh, these were actual uh, buildings, towers that were built in the ancient Near Eastern world. This is not unusual for us to see this happening at this time. This type of tower actually, most likely, most often, is a religious construction. For these people, even though their technology had improved so far, there wasn't necessarily yet a full denial of God, a denial of the existence of a deity and his or her place in the world and in human civilization. Rather, for them, scientific advancement and technology simply meant a modification, perhaps, in how God might interact with them, and perhaps even an opportunity to control how they related to God. And so very likely, the goal behind the building of this extravagant building project was simply to reach high enough into the heavens, actually make a way and a place for God to dwell with this civilization. Perhaps it was a way to impress him with their architectural prowess and ingenuity. Certainly it was meant to be a way to impress the rest of civilization. Whatever the case, whatever the case, they were absolutely clear and honest about their motives. This part of the passage is actually very refreshing. <laughs> their honesty. Verse 4. Let's build this thing because we can do it to make a name for ourselves. It's the human drive, this side of the fall, in Genesis 3, to make a name for ourselves. To use technology, to use resources around us, to use our own abilities, our own ingenuity, not to flourish and expand the wonder and glory of God himself and his name, but to expand the wonder and admiration of our own name in the eyes of other people. I remember when I first moved to New York City 14 years ago, before going, someone asked me, John, aren't you at all at least a bit intimidated about going into New York City and preaching in the shadow of such a great preacher as Tim Keller? I was like, well, I wasn't before, <laughs> but I am now. You see, I know that impulse to want to be recognized for my efforts, my achievement, my contributions to this world, as small as they may be. And how often are our motives, if we're honest with ourselves, mixed with 
what will people think about me when I finish this presentation? When I finish this project? When I finish this class? For us pridefully tainted human beings, it does not come easy to simply offer the best of ourselves and the best of our strengths as a gift to others and out of gratitude to our creator whose image we were reflecting as we build, as we create, as we perform, as we lead, as we manage. It's not easy. Yes, humanity was made to do very constructive, collaborative things. Humanity was formed and commissioned to be collaborating on creative endeavors, but never as a means to validate our existence. We were not designed to constantly be fighting and striving to prove that we are deserving of recognition. We are image bearers. We are glory reflectors of an eternal God, but not God himself. And that used to be enough. Pre-Genesis 3. But this pride shows up all over the place in our lives, in our internal thought process, processes. How dare they not listen to me? How can they sit there and accuse me? How dare they not give me credit for my contribution? Human pride has certainly been fruitful and multiplied. (laughs) And often the ways this pride shows up in our lives can be very subtle. Now, you and I today sitting here in 2023 might be a little bit more sophisticated than those in this passage, but we aren't necessarily more honest. We aren't so bold to be so honest about our motives of wanting to make a name for ourselves and simply broadcast that to others. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. No, no. Pride is much more insidious. And we often are not even likely self-aware enough of how it's motivating our actions at any given time. But often others will see it first. Nevertheless... We all, at the end of the day, do know, I would make the case, that desire to leave our mark on something, on anything, even if we can't afford to actually leave our actual name on an actual building. That same impulse is within us, all of us. And furthermore, perhaps there is no more perverted type and ugly type of pride than when pride motivates actions done in the name of or for God. (laughs) Just look at Jesus' conversations with the Pharisees to get just a little taste of how ugly pride can be within the people of faith. So where does this pride come from? 
What's fueling it? Now, like so many things in life, we need to look a little deeper under the surface. And notice again the honesty of this civilization <laughs> at the end of verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. What's the fuel for pride in our lives, in my life, in your life? In a word, fear. Fear undergirds pride. Whenever or wherever you and I come across pride, whether it's in ourselves or others, you can almost certainly be sure that there's a fear of something underneath. Fear of not measuring up. Fear of not being accepted for simply who we are. Fear of loss of something. And these people are specifically afraid of losing the safety of a place of comfort that could potentially be threatened and cause them to be scattered to distant places and separate them and lose the cohesion they have experienced together. Here's the thought process. What we have is familiar to us. Let's commit to staying right here. Let's stay together. Let's circle the wagons. Let's not risk losing what we have and what we've created together. But the problem with that is that the very thing that they fear to be dispersed and scatter throughout the earth was actually exactly what God's original plan and intent was for humanity. Remember back, Adam and Eve were commissioned, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God repeats that commission, commission to Noah and his family after they leave the ark, be creative, be fruitful, go and flourish with how I have gifted you and wired you. Collaborate, yes, but not out of fear. Not to build yourself a protective bubble. This is a fear that humanity knows all too well in its relationship with other human beings. You and I are built for community. We saw this from the very beginning in the series on Genesis. And we often, unfortunately, go through seasons, sometimes longer than others, of not having that safe place that we feel like we can be ourselves and just kind of rest, knowing we're with other human beings makes us feel safe, and we need that. We are built for that. But when we find it, we can subtly forget that we were never meant to be a dam of all of God's good gifts, including his gift of community. We were not meant to be a reservoir for community. We were not meant to simply experience a satisfying of our own needs, only to settle down and go into kind of a self-protection mode. 
Now, I know that the faith community that Res Prez has provided has been a gift to so many of you. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've experienced it myself. I've had conversations with you, and I have heard firsthand the comfort and the benefit that's been found here that you have experienced. And it is truly a beautiful thing to know. Many wonderful things and attributes in a faith community that genuinely characterizes Res Press. A place where you can worship with the care and the capability that you have here with Ruben, Ruben and the musicians and the singers. A place where you genuinely celebrate and enjoy life of being together with other followers of Jesus, where you can laugh together and, yes, when necessary, cry together. A place where, although you may not always agree with them, and certainly they will be the first to tell you they aren't perfect, but you have had and have leaders who do love Jesus and are longing to learn even more what it means to love and shepherd the people God has entrusted into their care. These are wonderful things. But as the interim pastor, and hopefully a compassionate, objective outsider, who also has seen and experienced this and genuinely cares for you and your future as a church, may I offer a word of caution? God never gave the gift of community to his people that we might simply stay where we are and simply and only be a recipient and receiver of God's kindness. God does not intend that we ever simply get comfortable and resist taking risks and engaging in things that might not always be convenient or easy. There are, look, there are many of you who call Res Prez your home, your faith community, and you are invested. You're serving, you're giving. <laughs> but there still are those who, for a variety of reasons, are still more on the sidelines than fully engaged. Perhaps you're coming from some place where you got burned, you got hurt, and you've needed some time to rest. I get it. This is a place to rest. Perhaps you are newer to the faith or simply have not yet been challenged that being part of a community of faith like this means you actually get involved and you step up and you ask the question, how can I help? and you're willing to offer. Perhaps you are simply feeling the unease of being in this transitional time as a church and are kind of waiting to see what's next before you step in and commit. Very reasonable place to be. Perhaps you might just be realizing that you actually have not had a great reason to not step up yet. <laughs> Whatever the reason, may I gently challenge you this morning to step out of your comfort zone, 
out of the place that feels safe. To take a risk at investing your time and your gifts and your resources. Not for the sake of an organization and an entity called ResPress. But for the sake in the name of your Savior, Jesus. Simply because of and out of a love for him. I just participated in my first on-ramp meet gathering this, this past week. It was, a, it was a fun night. It was a good night. Lots of laughs. I learned a particular way that you could actually make a really good living that I always thought was simply a hobby at best, but you could, somebody actually made a very good living. It's another story for another time. We had some great laughs. It was fun. It was great getting to know those that showed up. If you have not yet made it to on-ramp, you're invited to come this Thursday. little plug. But in preparation for it and in reviewing the vision and the mission of Res Press, I was reminded of how easy it, become, it can become to simply try to figure out how to maintain things and how ministry can often feel like you're simply putting out fires all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. Kingdom ministry often involves a lot of firefighting. Don't get me wrong. But if ministry for the entire church ever seems to be only firefighting, or to use another illustration, feels always simply like treading water, either because it doesn't feel like there are enough helping to step up and serve, or we are simply resisting stepping out of our comfort zone, or we aren't simply taking the time to look outside of and beyond these four walls of Res Pres. Perhaps it's time to intentionally pause and remember who we are and why we are here. And so here's your vision, Res Pres. Resurrection Presbyterian Church of Madison is a community that is finding life through the gospel of Jesus in order to love God and neighbor and bless our city. That's a good vision. I'm sure that those words are familiar to you, and depending on how long you've been here, you might even have them memorized. That idea of blessing our city actually comes from the next passage we're going to see next week. It's a passage where God essentially answers this passage, <laughs> responds to this passage with a fuller fulfillment and revelation of his original intent to see his glory and creativity fill the entire earth. Bless our city. Blessing Madison. That's the vision. Not building a safe commune that's only and solely there to meet my personal needs and makes me feel good and safe. Now, please understand and don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> this is not a it's time to get busy sermon. I'm not trying to shame you, not trying to make you feel guilty. 
Uh, This is not a you should be ashamed of yourself, so do more sermon. That kind of motivation never works anyway. Doesn't last very long. It might get you get going for a little bit, but it won't fuel you for the long haul. (laughs) That is not my, if that's what you're hearing, I apologize, it's really not my intention. We saw last week, ultimately, that the future of Res Pres is in God's hands, right? We do believe that. At least theoretically, we believe God has Res Pres's future in his hands. And I will be honest, I, for as young as a congregation as you are, God's asked you to navigate some really rough waters. And guess what? He has been faithful. Res Pres is still in his hands and will be in his hands. But rather than being a justification for simply maintaining the status quo, that should be the fuel that drives us to take risks. To take risks relationally. To take risks with our time. To take risks with our resources. To further support missionaries that you have sent out to the other part of the world. But even if, but even more than that, there's a mission field right here, right here in Madison. To perhaps, this could be the fuel, to perhaps simply replacing something in our lives right now. That right now is simply for our own good, for our own pleasure, with something done for the glory of God and for the blessing of Madison. God is on a mission, and he absolutely intends that his glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, says the prophet. And notice in this passage the lengths that he goes to and how creative he gets to see this done. First of all, notice that this city and tower, as much as they desired to build all the way up into heaven, whatever they thought that meant, barely makes it off the ground. Though it was their hope that they could create something so impressive that even God would have to take notice and applaud. Look at verse 5. And the Lord, Yahweh, came down (laughs) to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Do you ever wonder if God has a sense of humor? Besides the fact that we're creating his image and humor exists in humanity, it's all over the Bible. This is as close to the southern phrase, bless your heart, as the scriptures come. Have we discussed the southern phrase, bless your heart, before? If you're ever interacting with a southerner and they say to you, bless your heart, you've just been burned. You've just been insulted. The Lord came down to see this city, (laughs) this tower, that the children of man had been built. It's almost within the Godhead. There's a bless their hearts. And he comes down. And as he comes down, he addresses their pride by confusing their communication and dispersing them. 
Now, to be sure, to the extent that we see this as God's judgment, and yes, that is here, to the extent that we call it God's judgment, he doesn't scatter them. He doesn't, this isn't judgment because they have tried to do something great together. The fact that human civilization is able to collaborate and do amazing things is a good thing, like we've already said. Now, God scatters them because out of fear, they were deciding to settle down in their comfort zone and were resisting God's creative mandate to fill the entire earth. It's not supposed to only be about them. This is about the rest of the earth needing to encounter God's glory and the wonder of his name. And so even within God's judgment was this loving father compassionately protecting his own children from themselves. It's a thought, it's a feeling that every parent has. As parents, we're constantly trying to figure out, am I being too harsh? Am I being too lenient? I don't know. Sometimes you don't know. You make a decision and you go with it. There are some times that you do know you are doing things for your children's own good. You're protecting them from themselves. When your child, your toddler says they want to stay up all night, <laughs> you say no. <laughs> You're protecting them from themselves. And that's what God is doing here. God is stepping in. And even in the midst of his, no, you're not going to do this. As he is scattering them, as he is dispersing them, he's protecting them from themselves. To resist his mandate to fill the earth. Let me finish with this. The more you and I come to believe that despite the efforts that we may feel from time to time, or sometimes all the time, that we need to impress some other human being. Whether that be a parent, whether that be a teacher, God forbid that be a pastor, <laughs> a spouse. The good news is you never need to wonder where your standing is before Jesus. It's never in question. You are as fully accepted sitting here today as you will be on your worst day this week. <laughs> there is no need to simply go about life trying to impress him. He loves us as much on our worst days as what we consider our best. As to the degree that we more and more believe that, we will begin to be fueled to step out and trust him that he actually knows that we are actually built to give ourselves away. To die to ourselves. The same Jesus who said, if anyone were to come after me, he or she must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me is the same Jesus who says, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. At the end, do we believe that we are that 
much loved, cherished, and embraced by the Lord of all the cosmos that when he says, if you truly want to find your life, you must give it away, <laughs> that he can be trusted. We all have to face, we all have to come to realization to that. Do I believe that I am so embraced, so loved by my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ that when he says something crazy like that, <laughs> he actually might know what he's talking about because it doesn't come natural to us to live that way. Believe that this morning. Trust him. Trust that he is a good Savior, a good Lord, as he leads you and calls you and bids you to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do acknowledge that <clears throat> we often find our own pride getting in the way of who you've called us to be. The reality is underneath that pride, we are afraid. We are afraid we don't measure up. We are afraid our failures are, might be exposed, and when they are, we will lose standing with others. And to a certain extent, with other human beings, there may be some truth to that. But help us, would you help us, to believe that the God of creation, the God of the cosmos, the one who came down, who took on human flesh, who went to the cross, who rose again, who is now given the name above all names, is trustworthy enough to follow him wherever you lead Jesus. Help us. Give us the courage. Give us the help. Give us the strength to believe that this morning for Christ's sake. Amen.